Welcome back, everyone, to this week's Torah for the Earth audio essay. I'm your host, Charlie Forbes, and this week I'll be addressing the dual reading of Tazria and Mitzorah. The most important thing for me to mention to preface this commentary is that, in the discipline of eco-theology, a strong emphasis is placed on the conceptual and semantic relationship between the Hebrew words for human and earth, Adam and Adama. In the creation narrative of Adam HaRishon, or the first man, we are told that his body was formed from the earth, Min HaAdama, which is where the name Adam comes from. But what isn't discussed is that contained within both of these words is the Hebrew word for blood, Dam. When we're dealing with blood, we're also dealing with life, as we read in Deuteronomy 12, 23, for the blood, it is the life. This is the premise upon which the Torah constructs for us a particular relationship to blood, and by consequence, to life. This has immediate implications because not only does it indicate that there is life within the human, as is self-evident, but that there's something about the earth that is infused with a similar vitality to that of Adam. The presence of Dom in both Adam and Adama alludes to this point. But with this suggestion, we must also ask, what is Dom? What is blood? Or through Dom, what is being shared between the earth and the human? And this is the principal eco-theological question to be explored in the conceptual and semantic relationship between Adam and Adama. The two portions of Tazria and Metzora revolve around the laws of Tuma Vetahara, ritual impurity and purity. This includes a spiritual affliction referred to as tsarat, which is often mistranslated as leprosy, but it does manifest as a skin condition that presents like leprosy. For this reason, it's sometimes translated as scaly disease, although the cause of the affliction may surprise you. The Midrash tells us that, quote, the plague of Tsarat comes only as a punishment for Lashon Hara, or evil talk, end quote. It's a disease that results from slander or gossip and can even afflict clothing or the walls of a home. A Metsora is an individual who has been confirmed to have the disease, and the portion of Parashat Metsora addresses the process of purification an individual or object must undergo to be freed from this scaly disease. It should make sense, then, how these two portions of Tazria and Metsora are connected. Parashat Tazria addresses the laws of impurity caused by Tsarat, and Parashat Metsora describes the steps that must be taken to eradicate the affliction. But the topic of ritual purity in this dual portion begins with childbirth and the impurities that result from the bleeding during delivery. This may seem a bit strange, for why would one of life's greatest miracles, the creation of human life, render a woman impure? And why is the phenomenon of childbirth placed at all within a discussion about a slanderous disease that afflicts skin, clothing, and the walls of a house? 
the traditional rabbinic consideration is that with the beginning of life also comes a process of dealing with tuma, the spiritual impurities that hinder the influx of life, vitality, and holiness. In this respect, the dividing line between states that are considered tahor, or pure, and states that are considered tameh, or impure, are involved with the same line that separates life from death. There is the very basic premise that when one is considered tameh, one is also denied access to holiness. Tameh is equated with klipa, or unholiness, and death. This is why seminal discharges in men and other genital secretions produce the same impurities associated with menstruation. The spilling of seed or the presence of menstrual blood represents the loss of an opportunity to create life. They are both spiritual abstractions that are precipitated by a physical condition associated with death. According to Torah law, death is the principal cause of all tuma, and the highest magnitude of tuma comes from contact with a corpse. This is also a principle that is discussed in relation to the kosher laws, which were outlined last week in Parashat Shemini, as we read, quote, If an animal that you may eat has died, one who touches its carcass shall become contaminated until the evening. End quote. This is chapter 11, verse 39. I bring up kashrut because like the kosher laws, the laws of Tuma ve Tahara, or the laws of ritual impurity and purity, are also classified as Chukim. These are the supra-rational commandments that cannot be explained through logic. For this reason, they are very easy to dismiss as utter nonsense as they cannot appeal to a rational way of thinking. They are difficult commandments to personalize and to concretize in the material realm. But I would like to propose an idea that links supra-rational thinking, including purity laws associated with blood, with our care for the earth. There's a basic Talmudic principle which asserts that irrational thinking leads to sin. By default, I would make the argument that the current state of the world has resulted from the accumulation of actions that are irrational. They're irrational and they're sinful because they are actions that threaten life by nullifying the very forces that engender the influx of vitality and holiness. Words like holiness or purity are charged words because they've become associated with tyrannical ideologies that have, for centuries, oppressed people and created divisiveness. But I would like to underline that the purity laws in the Torah are providing a platform for us to search for and consider the physical conditions that support life and the physical conditions that threaten life. The language of the Torah may use a term like impure or impurity, although this simply refers to conditions that are detached from the source of life. They are void of life, which is why they are associated with death. They become associated with death because they're outside of the presence of God's holiness. And we can think about this principle in relation to purity, blood, and the earth. Take menstrual blood, 
or a seminal discharge, which, when removed from its human vessel, becomes a symbol of death. In fact, it's quite the opposite when these substances are inside of the human, as they are still unified with their potential to generate life. In that state, they are considered betul, a spiritual term signifying a physical condition that's regarded as allied with God, with holiness, with the highest potential for life. And the same is true for substances within the earth, such as fossil fuels, precious stones, or minerals. When extracted, they too become impure as they are taken from the mediums which provide the opportunity for them to function as instruments of life. Take fossil fuels, for instance, which contain energy. But our use of them can only move their energetic potential in one direction, from purity to impurity, and we see this quite literally. It creates a void in the earth with byproducts that pollute our environment. But there's a deeper spiritual significance to be gleaned from this idea. The lakes, rivers, streams, and inner caverns of the earth are the veins and arteries of the world. They are the structures which carry this earth blood, the natural resources, fungal networks, and all of the living things. The blood of the earth is the intelligence of the world. The ecosystems, the trophic levels, and creatures that interact with each other to adapt and change according to the physical environment. To remove them from the earth is to desecrate the holiness of life, and the blood of the earth is the key to life. This was present in the semantics of the Hebrew long before James Lovelock put forward the Gaia hypothesis in the 70s. In chapter 17, verse 14, we read, quote, For the life of any creature is its blood. End quote. And from this verse, it's deduced that the soul is said to either be blood or be in blood, which is directly associated with the lowest aspect of the soul, the nefesh. This is one of the reasons why Parashat Tazriya begins with childbirth, as it concerns the creation of a human being and the introduction of a new soul into the material world. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read, quote, and God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a living being. End quote. The Hebrew word nephesh is derived from the term nephash, meaning to rest, and so nephesh is considered the resting soul. The soul of life that's blown into Adam's nostrils settles in the body and comes to rest in the blood. This aspect of the soul, the nephesh, is the very same soul of life that is shared with the earth. And this is important to keep in mind as through the nephesh, there's a condition of life that is shared between and unified by the blood of the human and the blood of the earth. When we're dealing with life, we're also dealing with its container, that being the earth and the human body. To defile the earth is also to defile the aspect of our soul that we share with the earth, the nephesh. When we can't understand this relationship logically, or sense the connection physically, the laws of Chukim can provide some insight into this dissociation. I had mentioned that there's a Talmudic principle which relates irrationality with sin. 
That same principle asserts that the antithesis of irrational thinking which leads to sin is supra-rational thinking. The idea here is that irrationality is not healed with logic. The laws of Chukim are designed to counteract varieties of human action that fail to heed to logic. And in order to heal that irrationality, we must engage forms of action that exist in a realm beyond logic. That premise is as true now as it's ever been. The material world has become contaminated through actions that are destroying life. And so the world needs religion, a healthy, sustainable demonstration of that religion because we need to interface with that unexplainable, supra-rational, incomprehensible realm of laws that uplifts the human soul. If we are to purify the material world, we must also engage with varieties of healing which transcend reason. It may be the only way out of this ecological mess, logically. Thank you all for listening. That's all for now, and I'll catch you next week.